we are back in the football shed. My name's John Hewitt and Jeff King is here. G'day. And no Roger Gibbs. Roger Gibbs is away in Warrnambool. Warrnambool. Warrnambool yeah. for Christmas. Yeah, down the coast, isn't it? It's been Christmas, Jeff. Did you enjoy your Christmas? I had a lovely Christmas, thanks, That's John. That's good. I, did you drink Baileys over Christmas? No, 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 I did not. I drank O'Donnell's. Which is an Audi knockoff Baileys? No, no, no. Baileys is a public knockoff of Audi's original O'Donnell's <laughs> Irish country cream. Um, it is a, an official product of Ireland and it's cheap. <laughs> and that's what you're drinking again this evening? Oh, yes. I'm back on the uh, passion fruit gozes because it's summer mm. and it's really hot in the shed again. Oh, my God, yeah. It was 38 degrees today, so um, it's stinky in yes. here. Even though the cool change has come, that doesn't affect the shed. It just stays cool. Not a cool change. Um, But we are the Football Shed. Uh, We're a weekly podcast recorded here in Melbourne in Jeff's Shed, hence the name Football Shed. Um, You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy it, please do give us a review, preferably a nice one. But if you want to be rude and give us a bad one, do. But up to you. Um, Subscribe on iTunes, tell your mates about it. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com or you can just find us on Facebook and Instagram, just search Football Shed and we appear. Now every week we start with a question, which I reckon you're going to win again this week, Jeff, because it's only you here. But it's the halfway point of the Premier League, so we're exactly halfway through the season. Correct. 19 games out of 38. Did it myself in my head. That's not the question. <laughs> <laughs> but good maths. Liverpool have conceded seven goals this season. What is the record for an entire Premier League season for least goals conceded? Fewest goals conceded. Um, (laughs) Least is right in that context, isn't it? Fewest, I think. We should ask Simon. He did an English degree. Least goal, fewest goals. Yeah. Uh, Whatever. Um, (laughs) uh, It's not like we work in media or anything. No. Uh, I think that... Oh, 17. Uh, it is 15. Oh. Do you know what team? No, go on. Chelsea in 04, 05. So Man- is that Mourinho's first year? Hang- managed by Jose Mourinho, yes. Unbelievable. And that's when no one expected Mourinho-type football. Well, no, and everyone was impressed by it at that point because everyone was like, oh, they're really professional and good at what they do. But then it gets really boring 15 years later. But he did have Carvalho and Terry at the back. And yes, that checking goal. That was absolutely brilliant. That was when Czech was officially, in my opinion, the best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah. And it was also in an era when goalkeepers just had to save the ball and not yeah. be a midfielder at the same time. Poor little Czech now. <laughs> He's, he doesn't even get a game, does he? No. He's got to use his feet. I remember that was the, a year after, the year before I moved to Australia. Yeah. And I remember having an argument with an Italian bloke about the best goalkeeper in the world. I'm not even a Chelsea fan. Yeah. And I remember it got pretty heated. Was he on the side of Buffon? Yeah, of course he was, because yeah, yeah. he's Italian. Yeah. And that's just like typical. Yeah. But I guess he wins because Buffon's like a 39-year-old 46-year-old. How are, he's 40 and he's playing for PSG. Playing for PSG in the Champions yeah, right. League and yeah. Petr can't fucking kick a barn door with a banjo. Yeah, and can't get a game at Arsenal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Liverpool basically on a great run of only conceding seven goals halfway through the season. But I feel like we should talk about the title race first because but, since we last recorded, there's been two games, there's been two rounds of games. Man City lost them both. It's ridiculous. It's actually ridiculous. Um... I feel like I've heard, and I don't want to, don't want to, don't want to segue early, but yeah. I feel like I've heard a lot about the title race and not a lot about the reason why we are now in the position we're in. Yeah, nice, go for it. And um, I feel like the team that no one's talking about but should is Leicester City. Yeah, yeah. Leicester went away to Chelsea, they won. Leicester went, they were at home to Manchester City and they won. They are the reason why we now have a title race. Yeah. It's outrageous what they've just achieved in the last week. And Poyal, before those two games, there was a lot of talk of like the players have lost interest and they don't like the way he's doing things and he might be on his way out. And they did the same to Ranieri after they won the league. They kind of just down tools and went, no, nah, don't care anymore. And somewhere out of nowhere, I don't know if Poyal's done something amazing or what happened but they've just won those two games well there was a, a really perfect moment in the Man City game where it was one all and they he 
put a note you know they call the classic I'm going to write a note and give it to a player and he's going to go on the pitch and re- reorganise yeah. they reorganised they brought Madison in just behind the striker yeah and Madison that, started out wide yeah which started out on the yeah. right yeah um, it pulled him into a, a classic number 10 position which essentially is his best position yeah. remember when we were talking about him before this even even started when he was signed from Norwich yeah and we said that he is basically Frank Lampard yeah. the way he plays football the way he passes the ball his vision yeah. his his distribution so, so the yeah. fact that he can play a short ball a long ball over the top and he gets goals gets goals in exactly the same way yeah. he arrives late and gets goals and it deflected him which is just like <laughs> Frank Lampard it, like so to not play him in a number 10 position is just madness but the fact that he made a, a positive change at 1-1 it wasn't like holy shit we're getting a point out of Man City right everyone just back, shut, shut up shut yeah. up it was the fact that I, I think I can do this so to be honest with you, I don't really care if the players like him. I, th- I think that the players have shown previous of player power, yeah. and it's put them in bad stead. Yeah. Puyol is not a very likable bloke. No, well, uh, uh, he's not very charismatic. Like he's not gonna, he's not an instantly inspiring man. He's a quietly spoken French man who I presume likes drinking coffee and having a cigarette, watching the river go by in Paris. He's not a. See, I like that. Well, yeah, no, that but sounds great. Why can't I work for him? But I, which, yeah, I appeals to me. But I think if you've got twenty three footballers who are twenty two years old, I don't think that really works for them. So, I think that's where he falls down a little bit. He's a bit. Too smart in any of anything. So we're looking at um, a Mourinho style, uh, where when he's winning, it's you'll put up with it as a player because he's winning your games. But then as soon as it f- falls apart, if results don't follow, they'll turn like a well, in mutiny. The, in France, he was manager, and I hope I get this right, but I think it's Lyon. Um, he was at Lille for a bit as well. He gave Eden Hazard his debut at Lille. Um, which, I mean, if you're a coach and you've got a 16 year old in Hazard, you're going to play him. So. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but um, at Lyon, he won the league four years in a row um, and played some of the best attacking football. It was when Lyon got to the Champions League quarterfinals. Oh, and yeah. And then they okay. had Janino Passion back, who was amazing at so This is before the money came to PSG. Yes, yeah. yeah. And he created that team and they were brilliant to watch. And he was an excellent coach. And in France, he's revered as like an excellent attacking coach who's a genius. He came here and obviously did the job at Southampton and he took a look at what he had at Southampton and went, okay, I've got better defenders than strikers, I'll work out a scenario to get us results. They come seventh in the league, get to a League Cup final. Brilliant. But it was pretty attritional football. Now his theory was, because he was only there for that first year, it was suss it out for the first year. And then in the second year, I'll start kind of going, I'll bring in my players, start attacking, start playing how I want to. They got rid of him out of boredom. So this, and this bugs the shit out of me, right? <laughs> so, I, okay, I get that. And if you're a Southampton fan, I get it. But yeah. finishing seventh in the league mm. and getting to a cup final is an incredible achievement when you look at the rest of the Premier League. And you also look at the state Southampton are in now. Exactly. Right? They fire him because they don't like the style of football. Mm. Now, you show me a Burnley fan that likes the style of football. Yeah. Last year, Burnley finished them and they got to the Europa League. Yeah. And that was lauded as Sean Dyche is the greatest football manager of all time. Look at the, look at the, the yeah. nous that he has of, of making worse players better in the way he... Essentially, he has mastered what Puyol tried to do in his consolidation process of, you know, keeping it tight and working on your margins. So why do we view one in one way and then the other gets the sack because it's unattractive? Um, Because of lack of charisma, lack of uh, patience amongst fans, uh, lack of kind of seeing him in an interview and going, oh, I really believe in this bloke. So is Sean Dyche charismatic? No, but <laughs> no, that's true. But also, I think Burnley have been punching way above their weight for a long time because of Sean Dyche, and the fans understand that. I think Southampton had finished seventh three years in a row and were wanting the next level. And under Pochettino, Pochettino and Kuman, they played a particular style of football, and that wasn't Poyal's style. And he was trying to change that style, and it just it grated with the fans and then it causes this problem and now he's gone to Leicester and he's done better than I thought he was going to do like I gave him a hard time when he got hired at Leicester I was just like I thought he was going to we even named a pod poo well because we thought he was poo Poo. yeah Yeah, exactly Um, but I think he takes time to get teams going in his style Um, and I I rate him but I wonder if the Premier League is not the right place for him because 
the media is just a bit mean. It's true that the scrutiny you get in the Premier League is unlike anywhere else. Yeah. And I don't say that because, you know, I'm standing on a bandwagon going, yeah, it's the best league in the world. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not that. It's the fact that the British media are a bunch of pricks. Yeah. And they, and they will put you through the ringer for fun because there's nothing else to talk about. Yes. So, I, I, you know, I think it's a shame that this week has been dominated. No, I don't think it's a shame. I think it's great we've got a title race. <laughs> but I don't feel like Leicester have had the, the recognition that they deserve for giving us this golden Christmas present of, yes. a, of a bloody great title race. And the other team that beat Man City was Palace with one of the greatest goals of all time from Andros Townsend, which, like Andros Townsend, I've watched him live when I went to see the Chelsea Palace game recently. He just runs down dark alleyways to nowhere. That's all he does. He gets the ball, gets head down, takes someone and then goes, oh, it's the end of the pitch. And then He's like overtime. Isn't yeah, he? yeah. He just yeah. has no plan, no head up, no idea. But every year maybe twice a year he scores a wonder goal and that goal was the perfect goal at the perfect time usually it's in he's 3-0 down to Man City and it doesn't matter but that was the best goal ever do you know I heard someone say about Andros Townsend I'm sorry to, be, to like beat up on him when he scores a goal <laughs> like that but I heard someone say which resonated that Andros Townsend celebrates when he nearly scores <laughs> like if he shoots from distance and it's close he goes ooh that, that one was, was close. close and he looks chuffed with himself yeah. like that's a good thing to get yeah. it close yeah. like like he's he doesn't ha- understand what that other 10% yeah. is it's like he thinks he's had a good game if he has a couple of long shots ooh, that go close yes. yeah keep doing that every week but the thing is he keeps doing it every week and that was brilliant that was amazing and so I think we really need to talk about Man City please yeah because we and you started this Jeff about six weeks ago now I reckon maybe a bit further about the robotic Man City how there is this plan that Pep Guardiola instigates and it's kind of formulaic it's incredible to watch and it's the most almost the most perfect football you can watch but there isn't that little bit of soul or bit of fallibility in it now they've lost are the robots do they need a service are they broken like what's gone wrong like I know Fernandinho didn't play in both games and there's a lot of talk about the fact that Fernandinho is the most important in that team because when the defence is struggling, he's the guy that kind of drops into defence, sorts it all out a little bit and gets the foot back on the ball and takes control of the game. And they've played Gundogan there, they've tried John Stones in there and they're not anywhere near as good as Fernandinho. That was a weird one, trying John Stones in mm. there. I mean, I understand that his attributes as a football can lend to that, mm. but it's a very... They are very different players, Fernandinho and John Stones. You know, I, I, on paper, I'm sure that they share some attributes, but that is absolutely not a like for like. Yeah. Okay, so I think watching the last two Man City games, it's almost like the the machine itself. It's it's like you've put a Sega game in a Nintendo. Like <laughs> yeah. it might be a really good console, yeah. but it just can't compute what's going on yeah. at that particular moment in time. And they are not used to getting attacked. Yes, and they are used to having endless possession. They're used to being able to side foot it in. Like we've mm. what, yeah. like what is the stats? Like sixty percent of their goals come from you know a, 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 cut back. a cut back and yeah. a, and a in the six yard box, yeah. and the rest are spadges from distance, as yeah. we talk about all the time. And they are not used to not having those opportunities. And both Palace and Leicester attacked them. Mm. Actually, I mean, they didn't have possession stats, but they were both equal on shot stats, or, or just slightly lower. Yeah. So, and that's something that Man City get very uncomfortable with. Was it the what was the game maybe three weeks ago where Man City won two one? Was it against Watford? Wolves. Wolves? Maybe. Was, just, oh, that was the beginning of the yeah, season. Yeah. Anyway, the they were winning two 0 and whomever they were playing, I'm sorry, you correct me uh, yeah, in the week, uh, scored a goal. And the last, it, it was plain sailing for City until it was 2-1. The last 15 minutes of that game of football, Man City panicked. Mm. And it became this onslaught and Man City doing last ditch defending. Mm. And you saw something in that because you're, you don't, you're not set up for that. You don't understand what to do when that's what's in front of you. And if they don't score five goals a game, which sounds ridiculous because yeah. they often do, yeah. but if they don't have the... If they're not in the position to dictate what's going on on the pitch, they don't necessarily have the practised, well-oiled skill set to be a reactive team. I do think... Um, like, we saw it with Liverpool last season in the Champions League. Um, and to a point... Um, is it Leon they played in the Champions League this season that have done pretty well against them? 
Um, they, we've seen that actually, if you get at them, they do suffer a bit. They don't actually know how to deal with it. And because they're so... I think also people play against them with fear and almost go, well, they're going to have 70 80% possession, so we'll, we know that, so we just have to deal with what we can get and hope for something. But I think people are learning that actually, if you have a go at them and put pressure on that back four and put them under so they don't have time to pass it out and play around suddenly they can make mistakes. If you get a goal or two, you're in the game. What I think they do miss in that team is, and weirdly we've talked about it, and Roger's spoken about it a lot, how at the start of the season he was a liability and he's not playing at the moment, is Vincent Company. So Vincent Company is a leader, and I'm not a big fan of going, oh, young players aren't leaders, because they are. But I think they're, and maybe Fernandinho is this role a little bit for the team as well. But without Company and Fernandinho, who are both in their mid-30s and have been around a lot, there isn't, they don't panic in those scenarios. Whereas there's, if you've got a Stones and Laporte and a Gundogan or whatever playing and they're just like, oh, we just got to attack more, panic, 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 then there's no one going, calm down, we're really good at football, chill out, we know what to do, stick to our simple things, let's get this right. They, they kind of just headlessly chickenly run them where we run around and get wrong. You're, you're exactly right. And they keep doing what are in that particular moment the wrong things over and over again mm. because that's what they're programmed to do. Mm. It, I remember, uh, and I'm sure I've told this anecdote a few times, it was last last season on this shed about uh, a Phil Neville tackle for Everton changing the season. Yeah, yeah. Because... Essentially, Everton were doing what Man City did. Mm. Obviously, not to the, <laughs> not quite as attractively, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and losing and not knowing what to do next. And Phil Neville just slid in from distance, won the ball, got up, pointed, and shouted. Yeah. And every kid that was standing around him, because we were playing a bunch of kids, suddenly thought, "Okay, yeah. we can be in this." Like, yeah. look what that bloke did. Yeah. And he's not a gifted footballer, but yeah. that was his role in that team. And without yeah. company, I think you're spot on. I think that they don't... We always say that Pep Guardiola's plan B is do plan A better. And yeah. he says that. He yeah. actively preaches that. And when you require a plan B, or and you require it not because your plan A isn't working, you need to try something else, mm. but because you're forced into doing something else. Yeah. So when you're being attacked, when you are forced into defending, you are forced into a plan B. And the, their player with, with the most passes is Laporte. Yeah. That, that, that's He's incredible. Set, set we, we've, we've, what... 13,067 passes in, in the Premier League. Sorry, 1,367. He's yeah. actually got the most passes in the Premier League, more than Jorginho. Wowzers. That really does prove that when the defence get the ball, they have one plan. Yeah. Now, that one plan is to pass, and it's, yeah. to, and it's not to hoof it, it's not to lump it, it's not to put it in Rosette. It's, it's to not Fernandinho. To, it's exactly right, and then he distributes, distributes yeah. the ball. Now, when, they're, when he is under pressure, or a defender is under pressure, and we only have that plan, you make mistakes. And if you make mistakes, you will be exposed, and that's exactly what's happened. And then, But they'll keep doing it. And then if you are a defensive team, and it's, you're pushing them, and you go, oh, this is happening we'll just do the same thing again do the same thing again you eventually they'll make mistakes but look, here's what I find interesting is when Man City lose it's none of the players fault when Man City lose it's Pep Guardiola's fault it's a very good point when they win Pep Guardiola gets all of the praise yeah. and when they lose it's him who's got his tactics wrong at no point in that game did I, either of those games, did I feel, apart from the soft header that went out to Townsend's goal, yeah. did I feel like any of the players made an error. Yeah. What they did was what they were told to do. Yeah. That is very, very interesting. And it's a unique situation because yeah. usually players get hung out to dry. Yeah, if someone makes an error, if it doesn't, John Stones doesn't make a tackle or whatever, or Aguero misses a sitter and stuff, that's not talked about. No, it's absolutely right. And you talk about it as a whole. You talk about Man City as the way they play under Pep and then not getting it right as an entirety. And that's it. So as long as the, the cogs in their machine have done their job, the team's loss is down to the person driving the machine which is yeah. Pep Guardiola. And I, I find that a really unique point because yeah. I don't think there's another team in the Premier League that would be like that. You know, if when Liverpool lose, it's often Lovren's fault. Yeah. When when Man United lose, fuck, I mean, put them up against a wall, you can count who's, <laughs> whose fault it's, it, yeah, it's, it's been. And and the media yeah. and the the reports and the player ratings, they're all on the back of that. They, they, yeah. they, they reinforce that. Player ratings for a Man City game are sevens and eights across the board, whether they win or lose. No yeah. one's had a bad game. Yeah. It's just that the strategy's been poor. Do you think um, in that Man City game, there was no Fernandinho in the last one against Leicester, but they also had, they dropped Carl Walker, 
and played Danilo right, Danilo right back. And Fabian Delph was playing left back and had a bad game. Now, Fabian Delph's been playing left back for the best part of the year now and done excellently. And I really rate the guy. I think he's really good. But he did have a bad game. Suddenly, you look at it and you go, Danilo, who's a bit flaky, Fabian Delph are their fullbacks. And that's where Leicester got... Um, got um, a bit of joy out of it like um, Albrighton's first goal is from Vardy's cross and he heads it in at the back and Delph is just nowhere near great cross by Vardy oh, absolutely amazing. Brilliant. But, but, uh, sorry this is completely illustrates my point did Fabian Delph have a bad game or was he played in the wrong position no he had a bad game because he's played there a lot at left back for Man City so I don't think he's played in the wrong position but what I think it highlights is usually the collective whole of Man City covers up if someone has a bad game but I think Fernandinho is the defensive midfielder. What's his job when the fullbacks go forward? Cover the fullback. And then if you've got Danilo, Delph and Gundogan as the, uh, those three players and they're not working as a collective three and they don't play very well, then you can get at Man City. Um, I thought it was interesting they dropped Kyle Walker. Like As a fullback, you've got to do the most running in any team, really, especially in a Guardiola team. So you've got to rotate your team. But he's almost in a position where he can't quite rotate. You've seen with Spurs and Liverpool, who have won the last two games, they've rotated quite heavily, but it hasn't affected the whole. Whereas there's Man City aren't in a position where they can rotate those three positions and comfortably win games. You're exactly right. And having Mendy injured is a really it's a loss that we don't talk about very much. Yeah. But you know, talk about ro- rotating wing backs. You remember two years ago, three years ago, Spurs would swap them both at the same time. Yeah. So Spurs would would exchange the left back and the right back at the same time, so they still had a relationship with each other. Yeah. So they play Champions League games or European games with two different wing backs, and they were playing the Premier League. Yeah, they play Walker Rose, and then they swap, and it'd be Trippier and Davis. And that's amazing. That's, that's yeah. absolutely amazing. It, but Man City haven't got that luxury, and I can't believe we're sitting here when two weeks ago there's no way we'd have conceived it, talking about in a, inadequacies in Man City's squad depth. It's outrageous. And you can almost say, let's move on to Spurs. So Spurs beat Everton 6-2 and Bournemouth 5-0. I watched both games, um, in the majority of both of them, and definitely Spurs were not 6-2 or 5-0 better than the other teams that they played against. But there is a innate confidence in what they're doing and the way they're doing it that they don't panic. There was, And we talked about Man City, the players, not having a point where they go oh we're losing we'll, just pack, we'll do the same thing and hope it gets better there's much better and they, I think they've learned this over the last two or three years under Pochettino at Spurs to be in control of a game even when they're not in control of a game mm. so the other teams on top Everton were on top against Spurs and were a goal up and probably should have had a second goal that was disallowed for a push by Calvert-Lewin in the back when he scored a header but at no point did they panic. They may have tweaked their style a bit. They may have tweaked where they attacked. They have tweaked their formation. And they've changed players between the two games. There's Everton games and Bournemouth games. But there's this innate confidence of what we do will work. And we'll bring in Lucas Moura for this game and he'll score. And we'll play Son this game and he'll score. We'll bring on Carl Walker-Peters and he'll play brilliantly and get three assists against Bournemouth. And they look absolutely brilliant. They were amazing. Yeah, and, and I don't... You know, we take these uh, these conversations, John, as a moment in time because I'm sure if we looked back on a conversation a month ago, knowing what we know now, we'd feel like, well, we don't know anything. Yes. But yeah. at this moment in time, the way the last couple of weeks have felt is that Spurs have a a multifaceted way of playing football. They can choose to stretch the game and they can choose to condense the game. Mm. And from the from a goal kick onwards, you can see that they are deciding what to do against an opponent. Yeah. Man City don't do that. They do what they do so incredibly well that they steamroll the vast majority of teams on this planet because yeah. what they've done is perfect, yeah. as we've spoken about. Yeah. But Spurs play a reactive form of football. Yeah. And you say that they're confident. It looks like it because... As you say, if Everton were on top in that game, Spurs have a structure that can mould itself around what Everton are doing, and they can they can bypass the midfield. If Everton have loaded the midfield with six players, 
which, which you know, Marcus Silva does on a regular basis, then Spurs know how to go over the top without it being a wasted ball. Because yeah. Son and Kane know how to pull off each other so that the flick-on is in the right place. Yeah. They know when to attack with their wing-backs in order to make the most out of an extended play. So, so they can contract and expand depending on what's in front of them. Man City don't do that. Yeah, and I think the players at Spurs have learned to do that. Like they've, It's basically the same... Well, obviously, they haven't signed any players this year, so it's the same team as last year but they're all slightly better and they're still a young team but they're all slightly older and they've some of the players have got to World Cup semi-finals and they've done well in Champions Leagues they've beat Real Madrid and they beat Barcelona recently or drew with them to get through um, and so they're growing as a side and I think they're realising oh hang on a sec we've learned how to do this they play 3-4-3 they play 3-5-2 they play 4-3-3 they play 4-4-2 they play 4-2-3-1 they play like six different formations and they're comfortable in all of them and they can change it in the game. And they can do it two or three times. So they go, oh, we need three at the back right now. Oh, we need four at the back. Or we need two up front. Or They do that. And that's incredible and, to watch. And here's the thing. I'm, I've been so negative this last year about Manchester City, even though I think that it's the best football I've ever seen. Yeah. And I've been negative because it doesn't have the nuance that you just described. Yeah. It, it doesn't do what I want football to do. It does what I didn't know football could do. Because I've never seen anything yeah. like it in my life, but it doesn't fulfil all of the requirements I have of yeah. an exceptional team. They're the best. They're probably the best team I've ever seen. So I'm, I know I'm contradicting yeah. myself here, but they don't do everything. Yeah, they, they do one do, yes. thing better than anyone I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I like watching Spurs more than Man City. So with Spurs, do you? Uh, I'm asking the question, but I'm answering it at the same time. I put that down to the fact that they don't have huge amounts of new players coming in. It is purely quality coaching and quality education of players. So you take your Harry Kane's, Deli Alley's, Kieran Trippier's, whatever, and they are young players that Pochettino has moulded into this style and he's gone and done this and made them better and better and better and tweaked it and tweaked it and tweaked it. And now they're just excellent, excellent players that are just understand their coach completely and that only he's been there five years mm. you can't do that overnight if Pochettino goes to Man United next season say is he going to do that at Man United next season no way is he going to do it in two or three years probably not he needs four or five and it'll get better and better and they'll get better and better and I think fair play to Spurs for giving him the time to do it and I think it should be an eye opener to other clubs to go you need to give these coaches time to actually teach these players to get better it's mental muscle memory yeah, uh, so yeah. It sounds yeah, like a yeah. weird thing to no, say, no, but, right. but you know what it's like if you if you've played football yourself, or if you if you, even at whatever standard you've played, and you play against someone who does the same trick every time. Yeah. By the time you're playing against them for the third or the fourth or the fifth time, or you know three yeah. years or three seasons or whatever it is, yeah. and you see him come up to you, you mentally your muscle memory knows exactly what they are going to do and how to get out of it. Yeah. Like you just know, and you can only get that through the experience of that situation over and over again. And those players have experienced each other as teammates for so long that it's almost uh, it's almost interchangeable. That You'd argue that right now Son is a better striker than Harry Kane. He's incredible. But he? Harry Kane doesn't give a shit. No. He just smiles and knows that he'll get his goals yeah. and that's absolutely fine. But Son is just like, a, he's, why would you need a new signing? And, yeah. and they've always struggled. Sorry, I'm going off a tangent here. No, go on. Spurs have always struggled to find a striker who's willing to play second fiddle. Yes, because you can't go out in the transfer market and buy someone who would be good enough for when Harry Kane's injured, yeah. who's willing to just sit there waiting for an opportunity. Yeah. When one of the best strikers in the world—I can't believe I'm going to say—one yeah. of the best strikers <laughs> in the world is yeah. is in front of you. You know that when you sign yeah. up the club. But Son has worked his way up from being that second fiddle that's been nearly anonymous yeah. to to slowly, progressively becoming this key component for that side. And they can rest Harry Kane, start Son up front, and no one will blink an eye. And what I. Like going back to the way they play different formations, the, the, the gentle evolvement of Spurs means that if you played against them last season, your thing about you play against them again and again and you know what they do. If you play against Spurs this season, you're playing against a different team to the last season. Mm. And that, I think, is incredible coaching, is that you don't go, oh, they did this last season, so we'll, they'll do that. They look completely different. Christian Eriksen in these last two games has played very deep 
And he's almost turning into an Iniesta Xavi type of getting deeper and deeper. And because they're playing Son near a Kane and then Ali near a Kane and stuff, he's kind of becoming this playmaker. Son's playing further forward than Kane yeah, on exactly. average. Yeah, it's Kane's outrageous. dropping off. And Kane's game's changed this season. We've talked about this. He's kind of jumped, jumped into number 10. So you don't actually know how Spurs are going to play because they're evolving constantly into this new team. So you're not playing the same Spurs from last season, which I think is amazing. It's It's... Wonderful to watch, um, and you could say the same about Liverpool, couldn't you? Well, I think like Spurs are now second, but top is Liverpool. And you could say that obviously you played Liverpool last year yeah. with predominantly the same team. Play Liverpool this year, and you're facing a completely different unit. Yeah, you just don't know who is going to get in midfield. Oh yeah, on the way here, reading the news, Oxo Chamberlain's back from injury soon. Forgot about him. Wow, <laughs> and, he, and before he got injured, he, what was what was his injury? He got a really bad knee. Uh, I think he did his cruciate in the Champions League semi final. So will he be back? He's been out for eight months, and he today trained for, on grass for the first time since. So it'll be another two or three months. But he's yeah, minimum, yeah. But he'll be back before the end of the season. Um, but Liverpool beat Newcastle four nil and Wolves two nil. One, the big thing in those is there's always a nil. They just don't concede goals at the moment. Um, Joe Gomez is injured, so Dejan Lovren's playing centre-back. Scored a wonder goal. Scored a great goal. Nowhere. <laughs> yeah. um, but suddenly, a similar thing. of They're dropping players in, and it's fine. Shakiri can come in. Sturridge played a bit the other day. And again, they could, like Harry Kane, I reckon if they didn't play Salah, it's not the end of the world. Last season, it was, you have to have Salah, Firmino, Mane. Mm. Otherwise, you've got no hope. I think this team can now go oh, you know what, we don't need you today, we can put this guy in or that guy in and they can tweak it a bit. And that that puts, for me, right now, in this moment, Liverpool and Spurs ahead of Man City and they've dealt with the Christmas period, which is chaos, way better than Man City have. Man City have just gone head down, we'll keep doing what we're doing and hope we get through and hope we get through. Whereas... Klopp and Pochettino seem to have smartly looked at the fixtures, tweaked it a little bit, changed the way they played, and just made sure they got wins. But and, and brilliant, and reacted better in games. Yeah, like you've got to say that it, it's interesting what you say about you know if they can drop my salad, they, they can. Mm. Firmino is playing a number ten this year, which mm. I, I would never have thought no. he would be good at that. No. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but the way he yeah. was as a centre forward was he was he was like. Uh, upgrade new young fit version of of Chikorito. Yes, like yeah. he was that guy yeah, who was yeah. always on the end of the Christmas tree. Like he was yeah. the angel at the top of the yeah. Christmas tree, and he was always there. And I can't believe that he slots in so well. He's so industrious playing behind Salah. Mm. Salah's playing as a central striker, yeah. which is incredible. Yeah. Um, it it makes me uh, it makes me you know question my original thoughts about when they signed Shakiri. Uh, I just think that they are defending so much better, but what they've got right is they haven't so shifted the balance of their play that they're still attacking. Yes, yeah, and I think what they've also they've got halfway through the season, um, they've got no major injuries. They've got people like Oxley Chamberlain coming back. I think Klopp's handling of Fabinho has been amazing, and he did it with Robertson last season and Oxley Chamberlain last season. He doesn't ever rush a signing into the team. Mm. And that man management to sign someone for forty million pounds plus and go, you're not going to play for the first six months. Same with Keita, 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 yeah. yeah. And Keita's slowly coming in now and playing a bit more. And to have the man management skills to make a forty million signing millionaire kid go, yeah, this is okay, and I believe in it, and I'll get the game. Fabinho's playing brilliantly at the moment, and what you now have is a player who's only going to play half a season who could be the best player in the league for half a season. And he does that really, really well with kind of slowly bedding these people in. And what that means is your Hendersons and Milners are going, I'm not in the team anymore, I'm going to have to work harder, but also I'm getting a rest. And you kind of keep this circle of going, this constant competition to work hard to get back in the team. It's interesting because it's the Hendersons and the Milners who have so much Premier League experience that they know a rest over Christmas is actually a good thing. Exactly. Because by the time the end of January comes along, they will be first team players again yeah. because actually someone else is going to need a rest. It's really clever. If you look at James Milner, like James Milner at the start of the season was utterly brilliant and he's 32 years old, 33 years old and everyone's going, oh, maybe he's going to be player of the year, player of the season or whatever. And what he's actually doing is just had two weeks off over Christmas 
And so then suddenly he comes back and uh, when he comes back, he's going to be fresh and ready and it'll be February and Fabinho might have got a little knock or whatever and have a break. Henderson might have a knock and you've got a whole squad again. Yeah, uh, you know, I think being six points clear at this time of the year, seven points ahead of Manchester City, it's an incredibly privileged position to be in. They haven't lost in half a season before I'm going to move off the title race in a second I'm one one hiccup I can see in Liverpool's run to the title and this is no offence to their fans but it's the atmosphere of anticipation in the stadium now we saw it with um, the um, Brendan Rodgers year and Gerard falling over the emotion in that and the emotion we saw the close up of Gerard when they won and he was like we go again we go again and they're all shouting and cheering and then they were playing again and it became such a thing of we can do this we can do this that the crowd almost I want them to just keep a lid on it because they it could become too much in the stadium and almost Liverpool need to win it two or three games before the end of the season for them to actually be able to win it but you know I actually think and I can't believe I'm going to say this but they don't have anyone in their side that has the same connection to that club as Gerard and Carragher did no so the players that would have probably made that anxiety worse were doing the huddles before the games and the the pep talks and saying yeah. you know, it's our destiny and yeah. all of that but because they had Liverpool in their blood yeah. And there is, I can't think of another, There's, apart from the Trent, like, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, but, he, but he's also 19, Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's brought up in the area, but he's not the captain or the, he's right. not been there for 15 years or whatever. So the, Gerard was a fan. He yeah. had that anxiety on the pitch. Mm. And Liverpool don't have that right now. They yeah. can blinker it. And they are they are world-class footballers who are very used to, to blinking out an atmosphere and they're very used to Anfield. And they've played in Champions League finals, Europa League finals and... FA Cup, League Cup finals, but they haven't won them, but they've learnt from them. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, moving on from the title race, I think we need to talk about the best team back in the league right now. <laughs> Man, they're back, Jeff. Now, did, did you enjoy your mid-table chaos that you? I, I enjoyed the couple of weeks we were there, yeah. and now we're out on our own in sixth, and everyone's smiling. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just looks like he's having a great time. Yeah, we beat. Cardiff 5-1 Huddersfield 3-1 what a bunch of pricks um, <laughs> God, like we beat Cardiff and Huddersfield yeah like they're both probably going to get relegated Mourinho would have beaten Cardiff and Huddersfield yes but just the enjoyment on their faces Rashford smiling Pogba smiling scoring great goals there's just an enthusiasm about it and just on a personal level I get excited about watching Man United games again and that's just Awesome. I can't wait to watch who we're playing this week. We're playing Bournemouth at home. We're going to smash them and it's going to be an eight goal thriller and I can't wait. It's it's amazing the change. I mean, we, we spoke about it. I am very, very happy that this is the last time I'm going to say the word Mourinho on the shed <laughs> for a very long time. Do you know, I was thinking about Mourinho before we came in here. Do you remember when he was Man United manager? Yeah. I've erased it already. That was so, <laughs> so crap, wasn't it? Um... Yeah, you know, credit where credit's due, the, the feel-good factor around that club right now is immense. And yes, as I say, Mourinho would have beaten those teams, but not with the same swagger. No. And I don't, that's not Solskjaer. He's not done that. It's anyone but Mourinho and someone who loves the club. Yes. So it could, it, could, it could have been any Patsy who used to play. Yeah, We haven't seen Solskjaer actually have to do anything yet. No, he, like our first difficult game spurs in about two or three weeks' time. And I think that's when it gets really shown how far have we come yeah and in none of those games sorry John I don't want to like dampen down no, 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 I don't mean to do I mean because I mean it's nice to enjoy it every now and then um, I don't think that in either of those games being such comprehensive victories he's had to actually do anything so he's not had to make a substitution that's changed a game he's not had to change a tactic he's not had to come from behind he just had to say well done boys just keep going dominated had a kiss and a cuddle with everyone and yeah. shook some hands took some selfies smiled yeah. a lot and two wins under, two wins out of two one thing I pulled out of those two games that I did want to mention is Lindelof who is a Mourinho signing and Mourinho's obviously had a whole issue with the centre backs and stuff both games I've watched Lindelof as a, numerous times brought the ball out from the back into midfield not under Mourinho did I see him do that once and also I never knew he could do it 
and he did it well and comfortably and played a pass to our player like you're just suddenly like oh so it, it, that was an obvious for me he was told don't bring it out don't come out into midfield with it and don't just get rid of it and suddenly he's been told you can do this turns out he's really good at he's a ball playing centre back and it's never been seen for the last two years do you know what's interesting is that under Mourinho with United it was about mitigating the risk of it being your fault yes do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Lindelof yeah. would do what he was told to make sure that it wasn't his fault. Luke Shaw would get thrown on the bus for doing it. Yeah. Everyone would play in such a in, encapsulated Fear. way that as long as it wasn't their fault, it was okay. It doesn't matter what happens to the team, as long as it wasn't mm. their fault. And it would never be Mourinho's fault. And I think, mm. look at the contrast between Man City losing two games and it being Pep's fault versus it being all of the players' faults when Mourinho was at United. And if, if we see any change from that, it'll be for the good of football. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, we need to mention the fact that over the last two games, Everton's aggregate score is seven all. Now that's got to be a bit of a way better than Big Sam years. Look, I keep saying it, but you've only got one life, John. You might as well. <laughs> Did you phone Marco Silva and say that? Like, yeah. got one life, Marco. Like, just, just, just give it a shot. You know, you might as well lose six two and win five one. Like, you might as well. Uh, Dinier, you know, has the most crosses in the Premier League. Really? He averages 8.5 a game. Well, and now he's scored two goals in the last game. He's started to really come up trumps. Yeah. Um, did you see Richarlison's goal? The, the yeah, fifth? I watched it today because you WhatsApped and said it was brilliant. I think it's okay. I think it's brilliant. I think it's like, he's, he's, he's a toe poke. It, but it's, it's an out... So let me just talk you through it, right? <laughs> it gets threaded to him on a sixpence by Gulfy Sigerson. In the 95th minute when everyone's... The other team are 4-1 down and tired. Threaded... On a sixpence by Gilfie Sigurdsson. <laughs> yes. He controls it with his left foot. Yeah. He's outside the right-hand side as the striker faces the yeah. goal. And he left-foots it with the outside of his boot to outward curl it round the goalkeeper inside the post on the floor. It's a brilliant finish. And it's at full stretch too. I, that is the kind of finish that if you're not a top-quality striker, you haven't got a hope in hell of getting in. I know it's okay. You like, just don't. You don't know what you. You don't it, have an option. It was a good finish, but it wasn't mind blowing. I just like that's a good solid finish, but not. Oh, it was interesting that Richardson didn't start that game. So they started Calvert Lewin up front and Bernard and Walcott on the yeah. wings. Um, and I think, like, I think he's he's been not as good as he was at the start of the season, the last three or four weeks. And I think it's good for him to realise he's not a full first time starter every time he's not the first name on the team sheet he's still a kid he's, yeah still a young guy still learning um, and there's a lot of games and it puts like he scored a goal as soon as he came on so yeah. you go okay I'm going to drop you prove to me that I shouldn't drop you score a goal worked a treat and also it's Christmas you rotate and for the first time in my recollection of Marco Silva's life he played a back three yes so he played Zuma Kane and Keen and Mina <laughs> yep. uh, with wing backs of Dinya and uh, Coleman. Coleman but they were basically playing in, advan- in a midfield role yeah. and I think after getting tonked by Tottenham and as you said I don't think Everton were the worst side in that until you know, no, goal first, number five was going in first 20 minutes half an hour you were very much in that game and I, and I I, so I think after that, to, to active, you know, to actively make changes, and obviously, Idrissa Gay, he's the one that's injured, so you have to keep working out a way to accommodate that. And three at the back, there was no way I was expecting it, and he got it right. Yeah. The week after, or three days after, he got it so wrong. Yeah, he got it right. The last thing I'll say on Everton is mm-hmm. that I think Theo Walcott's days are numbered. Yeah, do you think Lookman's going to come in for him? I think he has to. He's the natural replacement. Yeah. And to be honest with you, it, that is not because of my desire to watch Lookman every week. Yeah. It's because Walcott has become a complete headless chicken. He doesn't really offer anything. If you When you watch him, it's really frustrating because he's got all the pace in the world and he gets himself in great positions. You're like, the only reason you've got there is because you've made a smart you're good run, enough to get there, yeah. And you're quick and you've got there. But every time he gets there, you know he's not going to finish or he's going to make the wrong choice. Whether it's not he shoots when he should cross or he crosses when he shoots or he turns when he should just pay forwards or whatever, you know that he's not going to make the right choice. You're right. And he does the old Andros Townsend face. Like he goes, ooh, <laughs> when, when, he, when he nearly gets something. And you're like, that is not good enough. Be pissed off with yourself. Yeah. Because you do that all week. Yeah. Like, 
Your job is to you, score a goal. That's your job. If you're going to be up there, and if, if you're going to get one, two, and you're going to get the ball back, as soon as you get back to your back to your feet, and I realise who's got it, I'm gutted. Um, let's move on to the relegation fight, just because I wanted to touch on it quick, quickly. Palace have beaten City and drawn with Cardiff, which like draw with Cardiff is not the best result. But if you've got four points out of those two games at the start of that Hodgson, we go brilliant. And only a week ago, we were talking about Hodgson possibly being the next to go and he suddenly turned that around okay, uh, look I'm going to jump straight in and go we actively fight the old white man on, yes. this, on this podcast <laughs> yes we do <laughs> and we lo- I look at some of the results for last week I'm like okay Marco Silva yeah great his team scored five goals Jurgen Klopp four goals that's awesome Oli Gunnar Solskjaer three goals the game that had two 70 year olds for the first time in Premier League history two managers over the age <laughs> yeah. of 70 against each other it's a nil-nil and they both thought it was a good result yeah, it's probably a problem, isn't it? Fuck off! Like now's yeah. the time. Yeah. Like if you don't understand, if you don't know what Twitter is, you- you're in the wrong game. <laughs> um, talking of another old white bloke, Fulham. <laughs> um, it's funny. All the relegation is just full of old white men, isn't it? We um, should be learning from that. Yes. Fulham got two draws, um, so they drew nil nil. Apart from Wagner and one one. Um, Sorry. But- no, they're- no, a German. They, they Fulham uh, got their first clean sheet against Newcastle, which is good. Fulham play Huddersfield, talking of Wagner, this week. For me, that is one of the biggest games of the weekend, Fulham against Huddersfield. They're the bottom two. There's now there's four points for Fulham and five points for Huddersfield from safety. That suddenly feels huge. Um, they've both got less than 12 points. I read somewhere, and I can't remember the stat, but about the amount of teams that have got 12 points or less at the halfway point of the season I think only one no two teams ever in Premier League history have stayed up wow um, that was Sheffield United um, and Leicester I Leicester think. the year before they won the yeah, league yeah. yeah so they're both in a real pickle so but it's I, so tight at the bottom I would say it's tighter at the bottom this year than it has been in lots of previous years and, and just there are I'm going to sound like this is basic mathematics here but there are only so many points to win Right. Yes. Now, when we're talking about record points halls at the top, when we're talking about three teams over, four teams over 40 points at at the halfway time is an absolute record. Those points have had to come from somewhere. And that means at the bottom four, the bottom five, in fact, looking at it, the bottom seven, yeah, they will have fewer points than you would usually have in that bottom seven at this point in the season. So, yes, we can look at 10 points, 11 points after halfway through the season. Crap. That's in a normal season. But if the top is doing so well, then the bottom can afford to do worse. Yeah. No, okay, yeah, you're spot on. Fulham are a really interesting team to me right now because their DNA in getting promoted was attacking, flowing football, dynamic, really no holds barred. Now, when they got to the Premier League, that just wasn't cutting it. They were were shipping an average of three and a half goals a game or whatever it was. So obviously they brought in Ranieri and his remit is to tighten up. Um, But when you tighten up, you've got to take your chances. Because when, as I say quite a lot, you've only got 10 outfield players and if you put... Nine of them at the back. There's only one of them to, yeah. to score your goal. So you can make, you can everyone can tighten and do yeah. it, but you need to be able to score at yeah. the same time. And I want to highlight Mitrovic for for the player that yeah. they should be relying on for that. He has had the second most shots in the Premier League this season Wowzers. with 54. Last yeah. game yeah. that nil nil. Um, sorry, that one one. He was one. Uh, yeah. He had nine shots on target and didn't score one of them. Wowzers. He said in his interview after the game, he goes, I could have had a hundred shots I wouldn't have scored today. It's just one of those days. But he no. said that. Yeah. I'm like, ah, it's horrible to hear. But I, like, I, I rate Mitrovic. I think he's a good striker. I think he plays, he did really, really well um, until about a month ago. He was in the top two or three goal scorers for the whole of Europe for the calendar year. Like he scored loads of goals for Fulham between January and the end of the season, and then started the season in the Premier League very well. I think Ranieri coming in, his style doesn't really suit Mitrovic, and he's going to say he's going to get less chances, and they're going to happen at less opportune moments. So I think he's going to struggle to get as many. 
But I think they do need him to score. I thought it was good that Sessignon scored for Fulham. Yeah, because I'm really excited about him and, I, and he's not lived up to my excitement yet. No, but Ranieri has moved him to left wing. He's not playing left back and he's gone, you're a left winger, go and attack, go and do stuff. So I think Sessignon's going to do well in the second mm. half of the season. But yeah, interestingly, Mitrovic has also he's been offside more than any other player. 16 times. Wow. So he's had the... Second most shots on target and been off offside most. Does that mean he's lazy or just dumb? Well, it strikes me as someone who doesn't know what they're doing. But everything <laughs> you just said, everything you just said, kind of counters well, that well, point. He, he plays the whole point of Mitrovic is he plays on the last shoulder, like that's his thing. He's got it, and he will stand right behind a defender and just be ready to go that last minute and get that half a yard. So it can go wrong a lot. So he'll look offside a lot. I so think the, the Premier League won't let him get on the shoulder. The offside traps are better. The referees are better. The exactly. linesmen are better. Yeah, everything's He's just much. not getting away with it the way he yeah. was. And he doesn't have a plan B. That's very true. Um, before we move on, we need to... Let's go to next week's games. So we touched on Fulham and Huddersfield. Um, the other big games I pulled out was Liverpool-Arsenal. Um, Arsenal playing $7 to beat Liverpool. Which yeah is a lot of money. Liverpool, obviously unbeaten, are top of the league. Arsenal have had a bit of a hiccup. Um, they drew a Brighton. Um, but it's like it's a kind of game I can see Arsenal having a go at this and something can happen. What do you reckon? I, I genuinely think that $7 is an outrageous price for Arsenal. Um, Arsenal are not as good as their opening season results suggested mm. however when they show signs of brilliance it's brilliant yeah like it's more brilliant than City when they when they show it yeah I think that um, what's going on with Ozil right now is it's talk of the town and I hate bringing up things on, on this podcast that you could hear 15 times a day on every other media outlet or read 100 yeah. stories I think it's a waste of everyone's time but it's a very interesting situation that's unfolding. So he obviously got dropped for a cup game. Then he got brought back in for a Premier League game, was made captain, got an assist. And then got subbed off at half-time last week. Or yeah, in, in the week, whatever yeah. I can say last week, because it's Christmas, I've got no idea what day it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so the, the roller coaster that that represents is just, it's confusion. It's confusion for his teammates. It's confusion for, for him. The... Where I see the problem lying is is they're playing two up front. Yep. And when you play two up front, the role of the number 10 must be one that has defensive duties. And he can't do that. It has to be. Yeah. If, you, if you're not, like if you're playing a 4-5-1, the number 10 can lurk up near the striker as, as the whole team's tracking back and that's okay. But you can't have three players as luxuries. You just yeah. can't. So I'm not sure that the system of two up front works for a player like Ozil. Just a, and I think that's their problem. Um, so do you reckon Oswald's going to be at Arsenal next season? I don't think that if they keep playing the way they're playing, there's space for him. Yeah, I just don't think it's right. No. It doesn't fit. And I, and he, just like Petr Cech, I don't think he can adapt his game to fit. I don't think he's dynamic enough. I think he thinks he's so good at his game, which he is. Yeah. But he, he knows what he's good at. And if Arsenal aren't the team to use him in the way that he knows he should be used, then he's not going to be there anymore. I yeah I kind of agree and no one's going to pay him 350 grand a week which is what he's getting right now no which is crazy um, I just want to apologise to everyone at home for the dogs going mental outside I'm not sure why they're going so mental um, um, I however I do think that Arsenal have got a chance yeah, uh, yeah and it's going to be a great game to watch I think because both teams will attack play good football and it could be a really good game I think Liverpool they just don't look like conceding at the moment though but Aubameyang's a top scorer in the league so. and, and Lacazette's Really, really top draw. Yeah. Um, I also think Gonduzi is the one of the more one of the more underrated yeah. players this season. I don't think anyone's talking about him, and I think that he should be getting far more respect. He is an excellent player, yeah. and, and he's only nineteen. He's oh, a kid. It's amazing. But, but when he plays well, Arsenal play well, and to have that kind of effect on the team, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. The, the problem is when he plays poorly, Arsenal will play poorly. <laughs> yes. So I think if if Gonduzi has a good, that's why I think seven dollars is not a fair. It's not a fair reflection of what that game is. It doesn't is. make sense to me. No, no, not at all. Um, the other one I picked out was Southampton against Man City. Now, we've talked about Man City. Southampton have bought in um, the Rabbit Hutch and improved. And then they played uh, West Ham this morning at home 
And when a goal up and then lost 2-1 to two great Philippe Anderson goals. Their goal was rubbish though, wasn't it? I oh, mean, it was come awful. On. Yeah, it wasn't really It was pinball. Yeah. But um, Southampton go to Man City. The coach, the rabbit hutch, Hassan Hult, Hootel, um, he's been talked about as the Austrian Klopp, basically. The Alpine Klopp, they call him. Klopp's football is perfect to play against Man City. That suggests to me that his football will be the best to be perfect to play against Man City. He said his players look tired and he does work them hard and they've had a lot of games. So it may be one game too far for them. But I think with Man City having lost their last two games and the people seeing that if you attack them, you might get something. I can see Southampton giving them a bit of a hard time. I don't think they're going to win, but I can see them making it difficult for them. I hear your arguments and I love it. Like, I love that we're sitting here looking at the frailties of Manchester City and, and, you know, logically deducing that a team has a chance because a month ago there was no yeah. way. We were just like, well, we add it to your multi every week because it's, it's, it's just gonna money for old rope. Yeah. Um, my concern with this match from a Southampton perspective is they've only just started defensive drills because under Mark Hughes they didn't, they didn't, they didn't touch set pieces when you're defending. They didn't do any of that. Which means that, and during the Christmas period, you don't have that much time on the training pitch because you're recovering from games. So I think that they're attacking with more flair than they were under Mark Hughes, but I'm not sure they're robust enough to withstand what Palace withstood and what Leicester withstood. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, is there any other games that stick out for you before we go on to the side stories? Well, if I can see a banana skin, it's Spurs against Wolves. Wowzers. Um, the so Spurs are at Wembley, and you see Wembley only had forty thousand people. So yes. it was only yeah. half full in the, yeah, yeah. the last home game. So it's a bit of a, I mean, Wembley is a big... I'm not yeah. sure if anyone remembers when Wembley was getting built, there was a big uh, expose news article about how they were going to have more room between the seats. It could be a higher capacity, but yeah. they were going to spread the seats out a bit more so everyone was a bit more comfortable because it was in the National Stadium, yeah. which is great when there's 80,000 people in there. It's amazing. But when there's only 40,000, it looks pretty dire. Yeah. Um, and the atmosphere isn't great when it's not a full stadium. Uh I think Spurs have come off some amazing results, but but Wolves are not a bad team, and I think they will look at this game with the with hope in their eye. And Wolves do very well against the big teams. They raise their game, yeah. Yeah, they've done well against Man City. Um, they've done well against Liverpool. They beat Arsenal. Yeah, they beat Arsenal. I think I can't remember now, but they've done well against the big six or seven. Um, so I can see them doing something. I just think Spurs are on fire at the moment. Um, Going on to side stories, in the championship, which is not really a side story, but Roger is our championship guru, being a Bristol City fan, so he's not here. But if anyone didn't see at the weekend, Leeds are top of the championship and Norwich City is second. Leeds were drawing 1-1 with Blackburn after 90 minutes. And then Blackburn get a penalty. Uh, and Oh no, sorry, the penalty was first. But they get a goal in the 90th minute to go 2-1 up. Now... Then Leeds come back in the ninth, first minute of added on time and get an equaliser to go to all. And then Leeds get a winner in the fourth minute of added time to win 3-2. So they go from being 2-1 down in the 90th minute to actually win 3-2. And then Norwich were playing Nottingham Forest and were 3-0 down. Yeah, 3-0 down with 15 minutes left. They get a goal back, 15, uh, still like 12 minutes left. In the 94th minute, they get a second. In the 98th minute, they get an equaliser. So they oh win through. God. So the championship's just carnage. But Leeds are top, Norwich is second. So these are the top two sides as well. Yes. So any slip-up in either of these games would have affected the top of the table. Yeah. And Leeds have got a bit of a gap now. And then Norwich have got a bit of a gap from third. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, all very exciting in the championship. So it's worth wow. checking out. Wow. Yeah, brilliant. I hope Leeds go up. Mm. Me too. And like, <laughs> They just they belong in the Premier League, and Miss Marcelo Bielsa is a great coach. And for him to get into the Premier League, that would be bloody brilliant. It's just about time. Mm. Like they've 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 done their dues. They've paid the they've paid the piper. They've they've sucked for long enough. They've been the butt of every joke for long enough. Now, okay, you're allowed back in the house party. Yeah. Hell yes. Do you have any side stories, Jeff? No. Well, yeah, I did. So obviously, the majority of my side stories come from an Everton slant. Yeah. Um, but. 
I, I have two very uh, differing stats that struck me this week when I was looking at the 7-7 aggregate of Everton. Do you know that Marco Silva is the first manager to lose by six goals, or sorry, pardon me, to concede six goals with three different Premier League clubs? Wow, no. That's a good stat, I guess. So, the, <laughs> so he lost 7-1 with Hull against Spurs. He lost 6-0 with Watford against Manchester City and 6-2 with Everton against Tottenham. Wow. If you're going to go down, just go down swinging. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> love it. And also, a tally has been made uh, since Everton scored the se- their 7,000th goal yeah, okay. in Europe's... Uh, in uh, top flight yep. which is top in all the European leagues now I'll read you the list so Everton have 7,004 yep. most goals in any European league like in the top division of in any individual league yep. second is Arsenal with 6,832 third is Liverpool with 6,822 fourth is Aston Villa wow. with 6,608 fifth is Manchester United 6,484 seventh is Real Madrid with 6,065 and seventh or sixth, seventh is Barcelona with six thousand and forty-seven. That's impressive, but we've always played. We've had more people in our top division than any other leagues for year. We had twenty-four in the top division for a long time, and everyone else had eighteen or twenty. So we played way more games. So yeah, John, I'm not saying that there's anything in that stat. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to prove a point here. I just thought it was. It was very interesting that. I mean, just love Everton more, that's what I'm saying. Um, I've got one side story. You know Atlanta United won the MLS? Yes. Um, they Their coach left. <gasps> I know what you're going to say. And they hired... No! Frank DeBoer. Oh, no! Frank DeBoer of Crystal Palace fame, who got fired after four games. And Atlanta United have just won the MLS after existing for two seasons and had Tato Martino, the ex-Barcelona coach, as manager... And now they have Frank DeBoer. I can't believe it. Is he bringing his brother? Don't know. Oh, it's so bad. So for those listening in America who don't know Frank DeBoer, or strap yourself in. <laughs> strap yourself in. How long was he into before he got the sack? 70 days. 70 days, which was... The, when you read out the fastest, 10 fastest sackings in history, yeah. he's there twice. Yeah. Yeah. He's that bad. Like... He has no idea about anything. He was a great player, and that's it. Yes. So, good luck, MLS. Enjoy it. On that, should we go on to end feature? Have you got a uh, song for us, Jeff? Yeah, I'm ready. You ready? Yeah, go for it. Oh, is that a new one for yeah, Christmas? It goes up. It's yeah. a Christmas song. Oh, yeah. good Christmassy. The Pogues. <laughs> Just like the Pogues. Cover of the Pogues. Or uh, E17. That's, um, I'm sending presents to Africa with that <laughs> good, song like, like what's his name Bono Bono no and that was the other one dickhead um, Bob Geldof Bob Geldof <laughs> yes um, so he's a dickhead week, though isn't he John he is a dickhead but last week Jeff something happened oh my goodness you won your bet for the first time in 15 weeks oh it's been a good run Watford beat West Ham it's, and you won your $30 it felt good it felt really really good um now, Roger and I both lost. Oh, which made the feeling that much more real. But we are still way ahead in the stakes. No, it's not about who's winning, John. It's about that I won. At the halfway point, I feel like we should give an update. No. I'm on... Roger's on $298. I'm on 147 You're on 47 No, that's fine. That's fine. At least I'm, I'm aiming at you. I can see you both. It's a long season. We're only halfway through. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so, what have you got for this week, Jeff? I am going to bet on Arsenal to beat Liverpool at seven dollars. So you're betting on Arsenal? I think seven dollars is really unbalanced for that game. I, if it was paying four dollars, I wouldn't touch it. But the fact that I can get seventy dollars back on you two, I think it's worth a punt. I don't. I th- I'm not going to say anything. Liverpool are that good. They are. They're absolutely brilliant. Unbeaten all season. But I think that, that is not a, there's not a $7 difference between those two teams. And because of that, it's it's worth a punt. Um, Rog, in his absence, has gone to Man United to beat Bournemouth in a goal fest over 3.5 goals. And Fulham to get a win. And it's paying $8.39. Wow. So he's gone big for a Christmas bet. And I've actually gone pretty big too. I've bet on Fulham to win. But I've also bet on Newcastle to beat Watford. Which is paying four seventy eight for just that game. John, 
Um, I got a feeling. Well, Newcastle have got um, their centre back, the Swiss bloke back, Shah, um, and he's back for the first time in ages. So, and you know, I always have this theory about Rafa Benitez. He pinpoints certain games he wants to get results out of. The last game against Liverpool that they lost four 0 he rested like five players. He's just like, fuck it, don't care. Yeah, beat me. I'm not going to win anything here. Why bother wasting players? He is lined up for Watford to be an important game. And it is away from home. Um, but Watford um, have lost to Chelsea last week, but had a hard game. And they've played well, but they've been... They're looking threadbare. Like they've getting a few injuries and stuff. I think Newcastle would get a result. So those two legs are paying $9.90. Yeah. I'm sorry, I've been more impressed by Watford. We haven't spoken about them this year, I'm sure we'll talk about them in the coming weeks. I've been more impressed by their turnaround than most other teams this year. Watford have looked so much better than I ever gave them credit for. I've watched, I can't believe why, I don't know why I've watched so many Watford games, but I just, for some reason, (laughs) I've watched a lot of Watford this year. And they're just so much better than I think they are. I underrate them. Uh, even though yeah. it's me and that doesn't make any sense yeah. but I think oh, the Watford are a crap team yeah. they're not they're actually really really good they're looking pretty good they're 10th in the league and only 1 point off 7th so. everyone's 1 point off 7th this That's year bloody hell but uh, do you have anything else before we go no it's been a pleasure I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas and I wish you all a happy new year and I hope Santa brought lovely things that's very kind of you, Jeff. And thanks for listening, everyone. I wish you all had a great Christmas and a happy no, New John, Year. No, John, I did it first. No, me. I, I feel it. guilty now if I don't do it. We'll, we'll be back in the shed next week. You're a conformist. <laughs> I will be back conforming with Jeff. And Roger will be back next week. Um, always get in contact via email. Shoot us at Football Shed Podcast. It's very hot in here. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast.gmail.com. Um, and don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe and tell your mates, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.